All right, so we're back here. It's me, Scoots, and uh, recording for uh, the second half of the first season of Get Best. So it's kind of a recap. And I just, like, I've listened to the last two episodes twice. The last episode, I guess, I listened to three times, and I just listened to it uh, while I walked a dog. And I've already, and now I'm like, man, these podcasts really do work because it's kind of like a, it makes a sieve out of your brain or something. And I said, uh, I just listened to it. And out of all the episodes, I think the last one was the best one. Uh, the second, the two leading up to that, whoa, boy. Uh, talk about content, as we said in that state of the podcast thing. That's probably inappropriate for sleep time. Uh, in this whole series, it's a little bit more... It's not it's not R. I'd say it's PG thirteen. With uh, Richard Warren Sears is a bit of a jerk, so sometimes he does jerky stuff to uh, a GIF. And there's some action uh, that probably wasn't the most soothing, but towards the end. So I don't know if that's a warning. I, I think as I've observed, some people that have been rewatching it, like. Uh, you know, usually fall asleep before then. And it's all done in as much lighthearted as, you know, we can. But so, let me let me start to dig in here, like back uh, where we left off, which was one of my favorite episodes, as I said last week, was 63, Highlights of Hell. And the, ta- the tagline for this one is, Buckle your safety belt for a guided tour of hell, lust for life, gluttony, uh, sandwich stuff and extreme sports will be punished, but what will happen to our heroes? And this episode is more on the R to NC-17 scale, actually, of humor and stuff. Uh, but this kind of combined maybe my love of, like, a movie, like the original, what was that movie called? It was Arnold Schwarzenegger, Total Recall, and... Uh, I don't know, Albert Brooks movies, maybe. It was kind of like, I don't know. So this was a fun episode. I remember doing this and just being gleeful. Uh, and maybe one of the first times in the podcast where I felt this creative freedom uh, because of the context of the podcast to be able to explore weird stuff. So it was kind of like, uh, I guess the, the premise was that I can't remember how they got there. Well, this is the power of the podcast. But at some point, Richard Warren uh, and James Cash ran a tour bus of hell because hell was in the middle of a remodel. Because uh, as I started to study some of these uh, ideas of Dante and stuff, there was a lot of circles of hell dedicated towards like not paying your, now I can't even, like, penury or stuff like that. I don't even know. Like, not paying all your taxes to the church or stuff like that, which no matter what faith you, you are, well, some faiths probably still, but, but it's like, well, I don't know if they're, you know, that this was the outlook in hell. And they're like, well, you know, do we do you need to dedicate any re- real estate to that? Or could we, because it ended up, at least in this version, extreme sports were not on the, uh, they're on the naughty list, I guess, or maybe. So they were getting a tour with a tour guide, which uh, is just amusing for me. I, I guess that would be a dream. I guess I was, like, living vicariously through the podcast to hop in a tour bus of hell like that in the middle of a remodel and kind of be able to ask questions. That'd, to me, that would be really cool. Uh, so that was the, the premise and, and I guess they had gotten in there cause then Gorbelli was like, I need you to pick this guy up. Uh, now I honestly don't know. Maybe it was in research of another podcast episode, why he had, they had to pick up the guy who invented electric torsion. Uh, this guy, hopefully it was a fictional name that I made up. I don't, it was probably based on somebody, but this guy's name was Freddie Sprague. And he was, it was weird that he was a character, he was a pretty good character, he didn't stick with me, like I had forgotten about him until I returned, which we'll talk about the power of characters, maybe a little bit through this. Uh, but he had a minor arc through through the rest of the season, and he was somewhat amusing. Maybe he didn't stay with me, because he was definitely weird, and... uh Maybe he didn't have a real arc. It was more of a token arc. I don't know. 
a story arc, I mean. Well, he did. His character kind of changed because he was in hell. He was rescued from hell. I think Gorbelli wanted him because he was the master of Subway. We owe whoever he was based on. Hopefully, this was a fictionalization of someone or amalgamation. But then they picked him up, and then, of course, you know, everything went wrong because you really don't want to be messing around on a tour bus of heck or hell. And so then there was some action, which probably wasn't, um, uh, wasn't, wouldn't be enjoyable for a lot of people because it was like a little bit like an action movie. And, but then James and Richard Warren, they got some tools out of there. They got some hell slush, which I forgot what that did. They got, at some point, they got the horn of Jericho or Jethro, which could de exist people. And they also got a Biden which could do something. And then James kind of saved the day. I think James and RW, you know, worked as a team and they overcame. And then the, then they got control of the tour bus. And then I think that was the cliffhanger. And then the next episode was uh, highlights. Let me see. Uh, highway from hell. Only 41 minutes this episode. Uh, will our heroes escape, uh, Blankety blank. Uh, why would they ever hang out with a man who, who was, you know, this this just stuff? Uh, can they thread the needle? All these questions will be answered in a method. Method manner so dull you will fall asleep. And that was certainly right. Uh, and what they did is, I guess, it was just kind of transition. They just had to get out of there, so they still had to get overcome like this dog that tried to a guard dog that tried to stop them. Friendly one, oh, so friendly. You know, stopped them with kisses and sniffs. You know, just heavenly sniffs. And then they had this other guy, and of course they didn't get along with this other guy, and he was kind of like uh, maybe a little midnight run in there, maybe not, but that's another movie I love so much. So probably was a tiny bit of midnight run, even though there's three guys, but uh, that'll probably be remade. Hopefully we'll get some, I don't know if you how you would cast it. Uh, I mean, I would maybe say... Well, anyway, let's keep moving. So, and then, so they basically get out. RW's like a, a little bit of catatonic. Can't remember why. And I'm not joking either. Oh, here, here's a pro, pro-am tip. So I started, I said, well, I got to, I got to try to listen to all these episodes. And then I, I didn't really have a ton of time. So I was listening at 1.5 and 2. What I recommend if you, and I don't recommend this podcast ever, but. I would do a few minutes at 1.5, then I would bump it up to 2, and I found that was, like, doable. But I, I prefer listening to all podcasts at one time myself, but I know some people don't, and, and that's fine, too. So I guess on that episode, the one thing I remember is that once they got out of hell initially, and this, like, fits the podcast, it was still, like, they had got out of the central part. And then they were like, okay, so when do we get out? And it was like about a 10-hour drive till your exit. And I thought that fit the podcast. It's like, oh, great, now we got this boring drive. Uh, and it's like, oh, yeah, okay, that works with this podcast. Uh, so that was 64. Uh, the next show doesn't even have a setup. It's called The Little Devil of Power and Control. And... Of course, I was listening to these, hoping that at least it would give me a general idea. But I think this was the one. Wow, I, ju- I think I just listened to this one. This is where uh, they must have got out, and then James wanted to. Oh, yeah, I think this was the one where they were fired because they were missing for so long. So Jif Bissos, or Jif Bissos, was like, you know, cancel. He's like, just sell the stock of that company. I don't want to do business with those guys because they missed a couple meetings. Now, of course, the guys missed the meetings because they were in hell for a couple days. But, you know, I don't think that would have helped their case. So they had lost their clearance at Amazon headquarters. But uh, James was like, you know, let me just talk my way back in here. You know, we were doing some stuff. And he also had a crush on Angela Bissos. So then he got into meeting with Angela, uh, but and this I don't think this is writing. This is very cartoonish. But uh, 
At some point, they had brought back by accident, I think, a little devil, which is a cute, you know, like something you give, like the opposite of Cupid, you'd give someone like a Cupid, you know, and what's that, Valentine's Day? You'd give them a Cupid and a little devil, a cutie, a little like that. And this, again, was another set of characters that I surprised. It was just funny. I find it funny. I mean, not in my own sense of humor, but these little devil guys, and they're up to no good. Again, it was probably influenced by a movie I watched when I was a real little kid that I can't think of the name of, that, that, but uh, <clears throat> with some, te- some teens or middle, like middle school kids having to deal with that type of stuff, I think they had found a hole to the underworld and, you know, comedy, you know, teen level hijinks ensued. Uh, but this case, like they had uh, caused, like they were trying to get James to do something. Cause then it's like, in, at this point you're messing with the, you know, underworld and that's what they're telling James. And so then they opened a rift in Angela Bissos' ear, inside her ear, so she didn't really know about it. Uh, so then James was like, oh boy, he, and he was falling in love with her a little bit. And uh, she was kind of, I, I don't know, it was tricky. Again, this wasn't a plot, plot, really plotted out season. And so then he was like, I got to figure out a way to fix your ear because... Uh, you know, this isn't any good having a rift to the underworld in your ear. And, you know, the little devils were kind of using it as a bargaining chip. And I think that was it. I think uh, Jane, R.W. and uh, uh, Freddie Sprague, who was the other character, they stayed at the hotel. And Freddie Sprague was like an affinity for plants. So he was watching the Garden Network. R.W. was on the Internet. Uh, so then James went back there. And he was like, listen, we got to find a way. Uh, or maybe he was like hoping the ear thing would clear up. I can't remember. I guess it wasn't his, but he went back to his hotel. So it couldn't have been that pressing a matter. Uh, but then they were supposed to have a date, but then Freddie Sprague escaped and he was headed towards the Seattle uh, Botanical Gardens or something. So then the three of them, like R.W., James, and Angela, uh, James and Angel were supposed to have a date. And so then the three of them traveled to the Botanical Gardens to uh, deal with it. And at some point, the ear thing became an issue, too. I can't believe this episode was only 35 minutes, but uh, it came out on April 6, 2014. Uh, but it, there was a couple of cute moments that stuck out to me. Like at one point, James was asleep in the car, and R.W. was kind of talking up his best friend and himself, and I thought that was kind of cute. Uh, and again, playing with this idea of friends and best friends and what does friendship mean. And then they got there, and I think, I don't know, it was called Grouchy Garden Gnomes, and I think this was one episode, okay, oh wait, a date with Miss Bessos quickly goes awry when RW has to join them for a trip to a lovely garden. Uh, grouchy Garden Gnomes. And, uh, so then they got to the botanical gardens. They started searching for uh, Freddie Sprague, who had uh, plants did not like him because he was not kind to plants. So Mother Nature was there, and she had sent some minions to capture him. So then everyone got captured by Mother Nature. I think. Stay with me. Uh, don't you know? Don't fall. You know. Don't worry. You could fall asleep. Uh, you don't have to stay with me here. Uh. But then, so then Mother Nature was mad, and then James was like, hey, you're Mother Nature, could you fix this ear rift? And then uh, she gave this long speech, Mother Nature. I don't even think it got recorded. I think it was like, uh, um, this was like a really boring chunk, because it was like, they were just at the Botanical Garden for like three episodes, and then the next one, uh, and I can't tell them apart, the next one's called Lions Led by Donkeys, April 10th, 45 minutes. A super long episode, packed with people, action, history, Cash, R.W., Freddie, Miss Bessos, Jeffrey, that's Jif, uh, Mother Nature, Gorebelly, and Forest Friends. 
So then we have the first appearance of Hans Zimmer Gorbelli, who is kind of like the antagonist of the show. I don't think, I don't know. And he's the evil genius, and he's wanting to take over hell for some reason. And he's at war with hell, which is, you know, never a good idea, I don't think. I mean, in my opinion, it's not. And he's trying, like, then, I don't know who triggers all the action, but they're also trying to get, he's like, I need Freddy Sprague, so they're trying to negotiate with Mother Nature. And he's making a pitch about, uh, it, it was interesting because he was an interesting character to me. He didn't end up uh, flourishing, I guess, as a villain. I mean, he, he ended up being the villain of the show. Spoiler, but uh, his his where his villainy came from was interesting to me because it came from World War One. I think because I was reading the Joe Nesbo book, The Red Breast, I think. I don't know if I was reading it at the time and that influenced it because that was a little bit about World War One too, or what. But uh, you know, he had been he, he had been dealt with World War One on the front lines, and it pushed him to become an inventor of cured meats, which is where he made his fortune. <clears throat> Uh, kind of like the inventor of Slim Jims, he invented all these foods that would be sold at uh, convenience stores. That's his backstory. But the trauma he experienced had kind of created this obsession. I don't know. It is driving him to try to take over hell, I guess. It would be the short version. And the you know best I can make sense of it version. Uh, but then... They're trying, everyone's arguing, and then I don't know if it was Gorbelli or, or one of the little devils uh, tried to pull uh, Mother Nature into Angela's ear, Angela Bessos, Miss Bessos' ear, which obviously is not going to be good for our world because we need Mother Nature around. So pulling her out of our existence. At the same time, Jif was Jif Bessos was coming to see Angela and meet James and R.W., uh, James wanted to save Angela, save Mother Nature, and so and so him and Gorbelli, like rescued Mother Nature, but they ended up diving into Angela's ear or getting pulled in, uh, back into the underworld, back into hell. Uh, R.W. at the same time, uh, and Jif, I don't know why they were on the run. Maybe from the plants with Go- with uh. Maybe the plants in Mother Nature were still out to get, uh, who's the guy? Freddie Sprague. So the three of them, they jumped in Jif's helicopter, which didn't go well because Mother Nature was still kind of out of sorts. So they got caught in a little bit of a storm and then and, and, uh, their helicopter like went off course. Uh, so that was a pretty action-packed episode. Now, this next episode is called, and excuse my language, but it's called Desert Island Dick. And it's uh, that, in a sense, for jerk, or Desert Island Jerk, which I guess is a wrong term to sub in for Dick, is jerk. But um, anyway, sorry about that. It's just, it's just I'm literally, but it's uh, 53 minutes, April 13th. R.W. and Bessos on an island taking music. They said nothing interesting could possibly happen. Well, that's not true. Uh, and this was probably one of my, again, I don't recommend it because it has some like weird, uh, some stuff that might trigger people. But this was one of my favorite episodes. And uh, probably, uh, I mean, the reason why is this is Jif's first episode. So he gets revealed and he's alone with R.W., which is kind of what R.W. had wanted. But they're alone on what they feel like is a desert island. And Jif's revealed to be this really nice, meek guy. And he's trying to be nice to R.W. And R.W.'s down because he thinks he's like, uh, well, at first he thinks he lost his friend. Uh, then he kind of starts around the... Mind the thoughts that James had had like 10 episodes ago about, wait a second, what if I'm still in the afterlife here? And this is some sort of, like I failed some tests in the afterlife. So he's really devastated because he's like, this is it. I failed my test to get out of purgatory. And I went after Jif. 
And then he kind of takes all that out on Jeff. But the whole time, Jeff's trying to talk about Desert Island Discs and try to make the best of the situation and find out about friendship. And uh, I just liked the contrast that R.W. really is a jerk. At least at this point, he's a Desert Island dick. He's not nice. Jeff really is nice to him. And But they also get along in this nice way. And then it becomes like a older brother, younger brother kind of dynamic a little bit. If the older brother's a total jerk, which I was as older brother. So uh, they spend the time on the island. I, I think Jeff was into craft work and joy division. I don't know how if he got through his whole. And I was like, where the hell did I come up with? I honestly it was like, why did I decide on you think those were two, maybe Exile on Main Street, and I don't know. I was like, where in the hell did I look that? Like, I don't know if I looked up his birth date and tried to figure that. I don't know, uh, and I don't know if that's it. But, but so, and then, the, like, the second half of the episode revolves around the book The Most Dangerous Game, the short story, which was a seminal uh, short story in my, uh, it just, uh, Again, me and my friends were probably too old for this, so we were probably in 7th or 8th grade. But we must have made 10 movies about the most dangerous game, uh, reenacting it. Uh, and I think, I don't, I don't know. And it makes me think about anybody that's working on a master's thesis or an anthropologist. It makes me wonder about the cultural impacts of uh, English literature books for high school and middle school students on the society. And when we think about what I was saying before, diversity makes us stronger and f- more f- flur- helps us flourish. Uh, like th- when I think about that, that, that was a book about white guys. Then you had Walter Mitty, another short story. These were all the short stories we were reading in middle school and high school to build a fire uh, they were all very impactful, but very uh, uh, white male oriented. And it's not a, I'm not trying to shame anybody here. I'm just saying it's got my curiosity up. Like, uh, I think, that, that, I don't know, I guess, be, I don't know if I would read anything, but it's just curious about that. Like, uh, has there been studies done about how, like, it was like, okay, this region read this uh, Macmillan. English textbook. This other region read the McGraw Hill, and one was more not even in the diversity at this point because this would have been. I mean, but I think like moving forward and making our our world a, a more healthy place. It's just something to be curious about, I guess. There's, uh, uh, but but yeah. So the good, but the most dangerous game in Walter Mitty. Obviously, those books were a big impact on me or stories. Uh, so then at the end of that episode, Fred, Freddie Sprague returns to say, hey, we're, you know, we're all live here. And then the Coast Guard comes and then it becomes a little uh, sub, you know, sub uh, where they were. The Coast Guard was working with uh, a theme park to capture whales. And then Freddie Sprague is like uh, has a change of heart. And he becomes like a, a echo warrior, uh, goldfish, the the. Uh, Prince of Goldfish, and so he decides to rumble with the federal government, you know, the Coast Guard, which is bad, a bad idea, probably. So that was that episode. That was that might have been forty minutes on a forty-minute episode. No, but okay. And then the next episode is called Fact Finding Mission. This was another amusing one. Uh, this was and a little bit sad. Like uh, <clears throat> uh, this was James and Hans Zimmer Gorbelli in Hell. And they met, like, they ended up coming across this uh, encampment, people working there. And they kind of said, like, that uh, they may have started to experience hope there because they, they had changed the rules over time. And now people were employed there. And since they were workers, they had slightly different rights. And and then now that these James and Hans lied and said they were on a mission from heaven, just a fact-finding mission. They're like, we're not here to do anything. But that gave these people even more hope. They said, and then it became, 
what does the existence of hope in hell say about hell? Like, you know, is that kind of the, the sweater starting to become undone? And also kind of tough. They were like, it's really hard being having hope here. You know, almost like is that another level of uh, uncomfortableness? And then them trying to process that it even makes it further uncomfortable for them. Uh, and the, yeah, the episode is 43 minutes. Return also says return to hell with James and Hans Zimmer. I think at some point a guardian angel showed up. I don't know if that was here. It might have, I think it's, uh, I think maybe later. What is this one here? Yeah, I don't know. I guess I, you know, I listened to it and and, and uh, I let you down. I guess. Oh yeah, here. So here's the next episode, seventy-two. Uh, Truth or dare? Poetry. That's from April twentieth. Thirty-six minutes. And this is a fact-finding mission. Reveals lots of feelings and a discussion about stuff. Then there's some poetry. Then a long story. But it all takes place in hell. I think. Boring stuff to put you to sleep. So, yeah, I think that continues on, and then the people are like, you know, well, what are you going to, are you filing a report in heaven? Because that would give us more hope, maybe, what's your report going to say? And again, I'm not sure on the plotting, because I'm not sure if this is actually an illusion perpetrated by Gorbelly for James, or this gave Gorbelly an idea of how, because I think this might have been an alternative place that Gorbelli was running, but I'm not positive about that. Uh, you know, because I was in a fugue state, maybe. Uh, but that that's kind of all that took place there. And then we get into some more fun stuff, because uh, we get into episode 74. It's called Jerry Maguire and a Babushka. And it says, it's from April 24th, 36 minutes. R.W. and Jif are on the run in Seattle. Where are they running and why are good questions uh, that may or may not be answered. What I can promise is boredom. A man dressed as a woman and R.W. busting out movie quotes from 1996. Booyah. Uh, so at some point, I think maybe they were so bored that Jif recreated... Uh, uh, Jerry Maguire, or maybe they watched it, and then yeah, this was a this was a good episode because uh, or interesting because this was an episode that R.W. actually achieves what he had set out to do. Uh, over the course of this episode, it's revealed that Jeff is ruined, and that R.W.'s kind of got what he wanted. He he, uh, like they get back to Seattle, and they're on the run because Jeff. Uh, I think R.W. leaked stuff about him, and, and there was other leaks. And the stuff with Freddie Sprague, Jif got blamed for that. Someone took over his company and ousted his team. And there was all, all sorts of bad stuff. And again, this was really uh, a good for Jif. Jif really comes out good in this one, too. And R.W. kind of does as a human being a little bit, too, because it has... Uh, there's a lot of comic overtones or it's ridiculous. Like Jeff puts on a wig. He pretends, I think he's the Polish bride of RW. They're talking a lot about Jerry Maguire and, you know, RW is using, you know, show me the money and, and different, uh, booyah and other phrase catchphrases from Jerry Maguire. Uh, but the, what's happening, the substance of it is that Jeff is ruined. He's lost everything his assets have been seized. He's uh, totally humiliated. He's dressed as a woman in a babushka. Uh, they're on the streets of Seattle, and R.W. set him up to be found. And R.W.'s kind of uh, like, uh, he's still waiting for the joy to kick in of getting Jif. He's like, and so they have this moment where they're processing, and he's like, you're ruined. And then it sinks in for Jif uh, that he he's like, okay, I've lost everything, publicly humiliated. And this is something that makes me curious about these people that achieve these uh, really high highs like this, and they probably have some low lows. And his reaction was, huh, okay, well, I guess I'll start over, which R.W. was not expecting. And he's like, no, 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 you're ruined. Everybody, no one likes you, you know, 
R.W. really uh, becomes the embodiment of a critic here or brain by because he says, you know, you have no hope. Uh, there's no reason for you to hope for anything. You're destroyed. I've destroyed you. You know, aren't you going to give up? And Jiff, in this mild-mannered way, says, you know, no, no, I don't think I would. Like, uh, well, okay, well, I, uh, what, what do I do next? Which, I, I mean, I, I mean, this is fictional, but I would admire greatly that trait. Uh, to say, and he, he just says it in a way, an unoverthought way. He says, okay, well, I guess I'll start again with nothing. And he's a little sad because he's like, you know, I chose my career instead of a family, I guess, which is fictional, like, I think. So he's like, yeah, I really do have nothing because I don't have a family. I don't have a best friend like you do, R.W. And so he's a little bit sad, but he's also like, well, I guess we'll I guess I'll start over. And then they go to a hostel, which was. I don't know why they went to a hostel. I think to hide out from the press because the press is looking for Jeff because they know he's dressed in a babushka. And there's a little bit of demeaning stuff, I think, because R.W.'s trying to uh, pretend he's his wife and he's a little mean to him at a diner, I think. And and I guess this was like a hard part in the storytelling, I guess because it was a serious story, was splitting up the main characters. I don't know if that's the best idea for these stories. Or not, but, uh, because the same thing happened with Superdoll, and I was like, eh, I don't know. And I guess maybe sometimes I split them up out of, like, uh, a worry. And this is a, a habit. Uh, like in the past, when something was weak and I was writing it, like when I was writing for this web comedy, or in, in the writing, like I felt like, uh, I would notice myself kind of changing the linear structure instead of fixing the story problems to try to make it more interesting and saying, well, if I just have it like, you know, that'll add some, instead of fixing the story or at one point we did change our stories entirely. Cause it was like, no, this is a, we keep trying to do this stuff cause it's not working. And I don't know if this was that extreme, but it's like, why it's harder to keep them together, you know? But in this way, it's this sense it worked out uh, that we got to see Jeff, Jeff and R.W. alone, and then R.W. got what he wanted, and it was unsatisfactory. And so then he had to choose. I guess I think he chose to help Jeff uh, you know, because Jeff's not that bad a guy. Uh, but then we run into this B plot with J- uh, J- James Cashmany and Angela, which is just. Uh, became a mess. Like I thought it was going to be a love story. And so episode 75 is executive parking and, and being a man and they kiss. And, uh, I think they decide to get married. I think there's more stuff with the little devils in there. Or maybe at some point, Angela reveals herself to kind of be evil. I can't remember what she wanted. I think to take over the world or something. I don't even remember. That's how weak it was on my part. And the characters, it just it really let Angela down in this fact of uh, that she was one dim- a one-dimensional character. I mean, her actions were one-dimensional, uh, but she really did, it was not fleshed out. Uh, so that was, let's see. So that was executive parking. And it just it says that they kiss. Then episode 77 is Hellish Power Problems, which uh, this was fun. Like uh, uh, R.W. meets this guy called Mr. Hell, Willie, who uh, runs hell. He's not the devil. He was kind of like the manager down there. And he's a complete nincompoop. He's total uh, jackass. And he's kind of botched everything in hell. I don't know how he got in charge, but it's great. Great guy to have in charge. I mean, maybe in some sense, you know, uh, you know, you don't want a top manager in hell. You know, the more they mismanage stuff, the worse it could be. It be like, oh, all the hell's out of toilet paper. Well, when's the next order coming? Well, I forgot. So probably like a thousand years. Uh, kind of like that. So it turns out there's this uh, guy running things in hell. And on top of that... He doesn't get to a point 
be ready to be bored to sleep. So he kind of is asking Richard Warren Sears and James Cashpenny for help because uh, the power's out. And I think Gorbelli's behind all this. Uh, then the next episode is a, a dowry and a singing bride. So then Angela and James are getting married. I can't remember why. There's a guy, Lukey, he gets picked on a lot. I like the name Lukey. And that someone named Lukey is kind of getting demeaning. He has to be a flower girl. I think he was like originally like Jif's assistant. And this is kind of funny. It says that tonight we have one of those prelude to a wedding episodes like every single sitcom does. The only difference is the fate of the world hangs in the balance. That and Lukey's a flower girl. Get ready to be totally bored. Uh, so that was called A Dowry of Singing Bride. And a singing bride, that was it. And I don't know anything else. I mean, she, she was big on saving the whales. And then I think that was as far as I got. And then I think I skipped to the end. I just hit play by accident. The next one's called Janet Jackson and a Husband in Purgatory. Maybe I listen to this. Miss Bessels and Mother Nature. Oh, yeah, she had captured Miss Mother Nature. Oh, to turn James into a real man because he's not human. And he had admitted that to her. Then R.W. comes back. This episode really drags. It says, good news is Lukey skins his knees. So you have that to look forward to. It's called Janet Jackson, a husband in purgatory, because she loves Janet Jackson, and I love Janet Jackson. Uh, then the next one's called, that. Conf- that's the confusing way love goes. Tonight we finally have a wedding, almost. Lukey has his dresses. Angela has something borrowed blue, old, and new. Uh, everything gets rescued, I think, by Freddie Sprague, Prince of Goldfish, uh, breaks up the wedding, and then the guys go to hell again. In the next episode, it's called Fury's Jealousy in a Skiff. Now, this is like where we will just briefly touch on character. Uh, but this one's 48 minutes, May 15th. The boys are back in hell. They meet a guy, a guy named Plate Glass who likes to skiff around hell. And then they meet his ex-girlfriend and her sisters, and some more stuff happens, but most of it meanders in a way that dulls you so you can fall asleep. Uh, So at this point, I think the guys had to get into hell for some reason, or they were in hell. But this is definitely one of my favorite characters, like minor characters, is this guy, Plate Glass. I think his real name is Flagalos, and he's not like Sharon. He's just there... Uh, to deal with this one section, I think, where the sullen are, maybe, uh, like this river, and I think he just skiffs over the river. I can't remember, and he was once married to one of the Furies or or something. I think that's a mythology. Again, don't, you know, don't call Bullfinch, because Bullfinch will be like, or, you know, anybody else related to mythology. And this guy had a bad Australian accent, but I love, like... Why I fall in love with characters uh, sometimes. I guess one was he was kind of like goofy with his little accent. But it's just a small thing. But it made me curious. I'm like, okay, this guy's job is to, he has like his little skiff and he goes across the river. Uh, I'm not even exactly sure what he did. Maybe, But but I was like, uh, wouldn't that be pleasurable? And then so they kind of, we pull on that string and he's like, yeah. Like I kind of hell's not so I've made I've gotten to hell to where it's not so bad because I got this skiff so I play some skiff games here by myself you know and you know it's not not the worst you know people adjust and may, may, he's trying to make the best of it and he's just funny because he called it me skiff I'm just skiffing around here me skiff I, I can't even do the accent right now me skiff. Oh, me skiff. And then he kind of talks about his ex-girlfriend and the Furies and how she's kind of jealous. And that was kind of funny, like thinking about the Furies and they, James and them. And then they, of course, they ruin his skiff, I think, which crushes him because that was the one thing he had in hell that was, you know, made it tolerable. So that, you know, I love doing that to characters. And he's like, oh, poor, poor skiff. That sounds like more like an Irish guy, but... um. And then the guys have to deal with the Furies, and then, uh, what's that, those, um, uh, Medusa, and then another, 
guardian that guards these doors. So they kind of pass these tests. And so that was kind of fun. Uh, and I just love play glass, play glass. And then the next episode's called Who is the Boss? And they get, I think the last uh, test they have to pass is this fallen angel who loves who's the boss. And it's really boring. I think they just talk about who's the boss. And I, I realized when I was doing the episode that I couldn't recall any specific who's the boss episodes. I was like, I must have watched... 80s comedies were really like how I developed my value system. And I'm not being joking, like, unfortunately, but that's really how it was at the time. And so I must have watched 10 million Who's the Boss episodes. And I didn't even think I, I, didn't, I didn't particularly, I'm trying to think who I related. I did not particularly have, like, Tony, Angela, I mean, Mona probably was my favorite. And, you know, she was kind of a tropey character because Rose was the same character on Golden Girls. I don't know which came first. I like Golden Girls, too, and Growing Pains. And uh, so when I I went to, I was like, I'll be, I could just do 40 minutes of Who's the Boss. And then I was like, I know the archetype, you know, the sitcom, 80s sitcom archetype plot lines. But I couldn't apply them, you know, like, does Jonathan get busted shoplifting? You know, something like that. But then I'm like, okay. I don't remember that episode, though, but it probably did it. That was probably an episode. Okay. Um, and then so, so, I mean, that was a tough one that I thought was going to be easy. And then the next one's called, okay, this continues the thematic place we're going, A Little Slice of Paradise in Hell. Uh, and James and R.W. stumble on a spot in hell where giants uh, do different Olympic events for fun. Horsemen run races. Lots of other fun stuff, too. Sound exciting? Just enough to take your mind off your problems and put you to sleep. 36 minutes only. Wow. Uh, but this was amusing. They had found the place where a lot of these uh, hellish characters live. I don't know if they were punished there or they worked there. But, like, your titans... And your giants and your, uh, what are those guys called? The horse guys. I, f- I always forget what they're called. But the guys that are a horse body, human torso horse body, centaur type guys. And James, and then I think they met a, a, one of RW's old assistants there. And they had to get through there. And then I think they had to recur- recruit everybody. And then the next episode is Into the Belly of the Cookie Puss. Tonight we listen to a, a riveting conversation between Angela Bessos and Mr. Hell. Topics can cover. I did not listen to this episode, include uh, Julia Butterfly Alvarez, which is wrong. I, I, I had to apologize to her because I was quoting somebody else. Uh, the novel's Wool, which I had just read by Hugh Howie. And John, John dies at the end. By David Wong, I think. And those are both like uh, people that kind of self-publish on the internet. And, you know, those books became bestsellers and movies. I don't think Wool's out yet, but uh, most of the time, I do not even remember anything about that episode. But Cookie Puss was the Carvel ice cream whale. And so I don't know what happened. The next episode's called Bright Dis- Bright's Disease Attacks, and that's what uh, R.W. really suffered from in real life. And there's not an intro, but I think it, they meet someone else, and it ends up being R.W.'s son. I don't know if it's an illusion. And they're just trying to get from one place in the hell to another place. And then I think at some point they find out that uh, with all the nonsense going on, that heaven's going to nuke hell. Like some sort of super, you know, a spiritual nuke. So de-exist all of the current hell. Because uh, it's kind of gone to hell in a handbasket. And so at some point there's like this clicking tock, clicking tock, t- ticking clock that starts. Because then there's one called A Trail of Tears to a Secret Passage. Uh, James Cashman, he takes a long way around hell twice. That should be just enough for you to reach some level of boredom. And bed meditation and fall asleep. 
Uh, so then James tries to rescue everybody from hell, which, of course, is a great idea. Uh, and I wouldn't do that, but... And then the next episode, 90... Oh, no, that's 90. Uh, 92, Atlantis thinks they're so great. Oh, I guess Angela and Mr. Helm must have been stuck in some sort of hell whale because it says, uh, trapped in the belly of a hell whale, Mr. Hell gets honest. And what does honesty do to a story? He slows it down. So I don't know what that one's about at all, but he complains about Atlantis. I remember that much. Uh, then we meet a kind of crossover character, a character that kind of introdu- you know, stuck with me, Mesmaro and Gandar the Great. So Mesmaro would become another character called Mesmaro, who was actually functional. This character's more of a uh, nincompoop. But James Gashpenny gets some guys that, that were sell- sent to hell for lo- using magic and illusion, which I think is really true, I mean, in the old days. Uh, that, that you could get sent down there for that. Turns out hell for a magician sucks. Sucks enough to become a podcast bedtime story that bores you to sleep. That was from June 8th, uh, 38 minutes. And so I think they use those guys, and then they make sure they rescued everybody, and they get everybody in this uh, area close to hell. I think they called it Hell Canyon. And then everyone in hell is kind of like, what are we going to do? You know, hell got nuked. I think they even checked. They're like, yeah, it definitely got nuked. No more hell. So then episode 95 is called Flaming Swords in the Buddy System. Again, no help in the show notes for me. And I didn't listen to it, but or maybe I did. James, at some point, I think the buddy system is like making sure everybody gets out of hell. And then Flaming Swords is at some point the guardian angels show up. And then over the next three episodes, they kind of throw their weight around. Now, it ends up that some sort of, as a theme is developed, like uh, that there is some sort of free will at pet play in the afterlife here, which is piques James's curiosity because he's very, you know, keen. And he says, well, who, you know, who's in charge? And then they said, well, the boss is kind of out of the office right now, which adds the the... So everybody's kind of trying to make, even the people representing heaven, they're not on direct orders. They're, they're, you know, I don't know if it's like, what do you call it, like a, a sabbatical or something. And he said, God doesn't take sabbaticals. They said, well, it's fiction, okay? But, if I mean, if I was God, I would probably, didn't he seventh day? That was a sabbatical one day. But for God, it might have been an eon. So there, God did take a sabbatical, eat it. And so this is a sabbatical. Yeah, just our human. A lot of times the angels would say that to James too. They'd be like, well, your, your mind can't process that. So that was how I got out a lot of the, like your human mind can't just can't understand that. So I think he was asking questions that people, he'd be like, what about this? Like, what about dogs? What are they getting? And they said, well, you wouldn't have ghosts. They said, well, it's just a projection, you know. Echoes. They think that was their answer. Echoes. That's what it is. Echoes. I don't know what happened in that episode. I, maybe I listened to it and I forgot. But it leads into the last two episodes here, uh, which was 96, uh, James Cashpenny versus Gorebelly. A showdown in hell where the future of the future hangs in the balance. Will you be awake for the climax? Doubtful, as this story is from the podcast you sleep to. So this one came down to, like, Gorbelli is the villain. Angela was kind of, I can't remember what she was revealed as. I think, I think she was just trying to rescue, like, her lover, like, the man she really loved from hell, which, I mean, is understandable. But, I, again, I feel like I disappointed her. And Mr. Hell, I, I guess I let a few of these characters down a little bit, but it was early days, you know, the show. Um, but so Gorbelli is... Uh, I can't remember. I guess I, geez, I, this is embarrassing, but I don't know what he really wanted in the end. I think he wanted to, I think he was just desperately misguided to protect people from the trauma. Like he wanted to take over hell to protect people. I think like kind of like a part of us, you know, that's misguided, it's trying to protect us, but doing it in a twisted way that ends up hurting us, I think was the metaphor that I was, that he was reflecting. And so he was still, he was making a deal with the angels to still take over, and he had used technology. He was like, this technology will make sure 
you know, it, it'll do everything really efficiently. And he said he had everything set up and ready to go. Uh, but then James kind of is our hero. He was like, well, I don't know if this is right, you know, and if there's free will here in the afterlife, you know, don't we have to, do, you know, I, I think we need to do what's right here. And they kind of, you know, argued back and forth and Gorbelli used, you know, tried to strong arm things. And there was a little back and forth. And then over this episode and the next one, James won out. And RW was at risk. And then he ended up using Freddy Sprague. Like, everybody teamed together. And they gave Gorbelli the opposite of his medicine. Instead of, like, uh, like James's thing was like, oh, well, what if you could see the implications of your lost opportunities? Like, the implications of the stuff you didn't do. Kind of like... Uh, like miracle, what is it? No, uh, and, and even in the episode when I was listening, I couldn't think of the name of the show. And, you know, the guy running down the street, Jimmy Stewart. I'll think of it. Um, a miracle on Thirty Fourth Street. No, that's not that. It's the other one. Every time a ring, bell rings, an angel gets its wings. Uh, but it'll come to me. But so, James was like, "What if we use these machines for that?" And they were like, "Oh, well, uh, And the angels were like, "You know, somebody's got a." You know, they wanted to take out Gorbelli, and they were, and then James was like, well, you're not in, you don't have any authority here. So then there was a battle over authority, and then James was like, uh, still like, we need to do what's right. And then there was like the main plot, which was, okay, get Bessos, but it was really about R.W. and James. And the angels were like, well, James, you're going, you know, you qualified for heaven at some point. You know, no offense, R.W., you did not. And James had, had suffered a cut, and they were like, "We'll just come to come to heaven. We'll fix your cut." And R.W.'s like, "You know, you go because you know this is you've shown what kind of friend you are, and I'll stay here in hell, you know, and and figure it out, or I'll go back to purgatory." And James was kind of like, "No, like let's figure this out together. Let's figure out hell together. I think we could make a new hell." And then Jeff was like, "I'll help." And Freddie Spray, at some points, all the characters, or most of the characters, James was like, okay, well, I think we could use your talents for this. And I think we could use your talents for this. And I was like, oh, okay, okay. So they decided that they would uh, Hell 2.0, start up uh, a wonderful new Hell. Let me see what that is. Uh, what would happen if Jeff Jeff Bissos sold his company and started a hell-based company? Could the hell problem finally be solved? Or will boring stuff happens? Enough with question marks. Let the bedtime story begin. And so they decided as a group, and you'll hear more about it in their new season, which starts uh, week next week, uh, what happened from there. But they decided together to make it maybe a better hell that was more... I don't know, is, 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 uh, even the characters were like, is this a good idea? Is this a wholesome hell or a rejuvenating hell or a, a preventative, proactive hell that tries to get the best out of people when they're alive? Uh, so a little bit to chew on, but uh, yeah, so that was the first season of Get Bessos, as, as best I could tell. All right, I'll talk to you soon. Good night. I want to thank our patrons over there at Patreon slash Sleep With Me. I want to thank Brett, Cindy, Mark, Allie, HW, uh, FAL, Sherilyn, Tara, Tawana, Bonnie, Rita, Amanda, Ken, Kate, Charlie, Julie, Ted, uh, Melanie, Linda, Michelle, Kim, Nicole, Miriam, Allison, Sarah, Sandy, Marcy, Ray, Karen, Maria, Betty, Kat, Julie, Jenny, Angie, Leah, Cole, Katie, Lisa, Mike, Colleen, Grant, Jean, Sarah, Deborah, Amy, Carrie, Christy, Sarah, Nancy, good night, Andrea, good night, Heather, Michael, Betty, Brandon, Annie, Shibben, Adia, Joanne, Kimberly, Bennett, 
Jennifer, Amanda, David, Geraldine, Laura, Stacy, Joseph, Jennifer, Joan, Zen, Debbie, Karen, Jennifer, uh, two Jennifer D's right close together, Michael V, Mary Beth, uh, Judith, Dalton, Anna, Jen, Carolina, Jen, M, Michelle, Mary, Mike, Maureen, Sarah, Molly, Jasmine, Carrie, Catherine, Claudia, Summer, Jen, Joe, Danielle, and Vicky, and Madison. And then over on iTunes, Sleeping Me Podcast.com slash iTunes, Sleeping BK, that's like Burger King, I guess. Sleeping in Burger King says Z's five stars. Thank you. Margaret R to the M's been using it about five nights and they're confident they'll keep using it. They don't even know what the stories are like and they don't know why parental advisory label because they've always fallen asleep. That's perfect. Their brain goes at light speed, but hopefully I'll keep you distracted. Uh, Carl Fly. Oh, I like Shoe Fly, Shoe Fly, Carl Fly, Blue Fly. Scooters no Seuss fly. Fly, fly away, Scoots. Okay, but then I want to thank Carl Fly for the review, who says it's strange, hysterical, entertaining, and always puts to sleep. And then Love to Hike says uh, odd and helpful. Been using this for a couple months. Says the sleep timer to 30, but never get that far. Delivery steady. So they say they wouldn't mind some music in the background. Hopefully, we'll get that in the deluxe episodes. Like a liquid mind. Thanks, boring guy. You're welcome. Uh, Spider Buffalo does not like the pie. I guess it's confusing review because Spider Buffalo says we're utter CRAP, but one star. But they say it's like a nonsensical Woody Allen rambling without the benefit of visual input. And then, but they say that makes it unsu- insufferable. So I don't know. There's no accounting for taste, you know. I don't. I don't. I don't fit all. I barely fit any pegs. So, uh, Wilgernon. I don't know if you're related to Algernon from the UK. Says great show, eccentric rambling, fantastical stories, lulling tones. Send them a lot. Nod pretty quick. Thanks. Uh, be, I, I am a busy bee. Says crazy but effective. Uh, been listening for a month is one of the worst podcasts on the playlist. Well, this is a nice review, five stars. It really works. Can't explain it. Uh, silly, boring, and rambling. No James Earl Jones. Mild. Go from interesting like Dickens Fair to the odd to, to the mundane. Each episode is different. That's a key. And here you go. Talk about nailing it. They usually end with call out to specific first names reminding me of Romper Room. Exactly. That's exactly where it came from. But it's never failed to get them back to sleep. It's kind of similar to ASMR, but not creepy or breathing. And that's it. Thank you so much. Uh, Dana73 loves the podcast. Uh, Typically takes two or three hours to fall asleep with Netflix, books, everything. But this podcast works. Thank you. Uh, Jared S. has helped a lot. Really helped me fall asleep. Thanks, Jared. Rick double O oh, triple O one. I think we thanked Rick over on Twitter. I want to thank Eli from Touch Arcade, Mary Beth, uh, Molly C, uh, Babs. Of course, be like Babs. Madison, be like Madison too. Uh, Jillian, spreading the word to sincerely cast. Thank you, Jillian. Thank you so much. And then we had Carrie. Uh, also spreading the word. Thank you, Carrie, so much. Glad to help you sleep. Uh, Kathleen W. cracking me up. Picture me drink. Uh, picture me reading Vogue Australia on the bus. Aurora Jellybean. Thank you. Uh, Squirrel. Uh, thank you so much. Kimberly A. Thank you so much. Uh, Mary W. Thank you so much. Uh, Vintage Grub, thank you so much. Good night. Geeky Girl, thank you and good night. Uh, Debbie W, thank you and good night. And Graham W, thank you and good night. Uh, Over on uh, Facebook, I want to thank Alexandra, Amy L, Emily L, Babs, Joshua P. Nice to hear from you. 
Uh, Laura, thank you and good night. Uh, Lise, thank you and good night. Jamie, thank you and good night. Uh, Marcy, thank you and good night. Andres, thank you and good night. Uh, Christina Bosupal, good night. Uh, Matthew B, thank you and good night. Katie MF, thank you and good night. James, thanks and good night. Betty, thanks and good night. Lori, thank you and good night. Summer, thank you and good night. Uh, Kyle, thank you and good night. Mary, and my tube TV sends the best. Thank you and good night. Stephen, thank you and good night. Joe, thank you and good night. Uh, Jamie C, thank you and good night. Fallon, thank you and good night. CJ, thank you and good night. Uh, Teresa, Mama Mia Out Loud podcast, thank you and good night. And I think that's it. Thank you and good night.